The issue that we run into across the state is recountability. Recountability. Our word of the day. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. It is not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. No, I'm not scared. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Uh, I may be a little scared. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 and in Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM. And of course, AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota in Minneapolis, St. Paul. We're also streaming coast to coast and around the globe five days a week on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Welcome to the Bradcast. Uh, News of Donald Trump's reported selection to head up the Environmental Protection Agency is in today. And Desi Doyen, I say reported because I don't know that this has been confirmed yet by the Trump campaign, correct? As of airtime, it has not yet been confirmed. You will be shocked, not you, Des, but everyone else uh, will be shocked to learn that uh, this uh, appointee, this nominee, if in fact it turns out to be accurate, is... A climate change denier. Perfect. Of course. Perfect. A climate change denier heading up the, I guess we have to say, euphemistically named Environmental Protection Agency at this point. Uh, yeah, because he's once. against the first two words, the parts about environment and protection. Right. But but he'll be heading the agency, so there's that. We will talk about who that pick is uh, and and what it means and what his history is uh, coming up in a little bit. Uh, but uh, speaking of euphemisms, our coverage of what we euphemistic, euphemistically call a recount in this country continues as the Green Party's Jill Stein continues to put up one hell of a fight, frankly, one hell of a fight. Never mind what you think about her, what you don't, whether you voted for her, whether you didn't. She's putting up one hell of a fight right now, uh, as are her supporters, uh, for some kind of citizen oversight of election results in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania and Michigan still at this hour. It really should not be this hard. And I'll be speaking to my guest about exactly that shortly. Uh, but uh, just to give you today's update, uh, and there's a lot here, the uh, the counting and or rescanning of paper ballots is now in day seven in the state of Wisconsin, where Donald Trump is reported to have defeated Hillary Clinton by about one half of one percent of the vote. Um, 
about one, about 22,000 votes out of some 3 million uh, initially tallied. So far, there is very little change reported in the results to date in the state, where the largest counties in the state are simply rerunning their hand-marked paper ballots right through the same optical scan computer systems that tallied them the first time, either correctly or incorrectly. Who knows? Uh, without uh, without hand counting, of course, we can't know. Uh, but those tallies continue in the Badger State in the face of so far unsuccessful challenges to try and stop those counts by a number of uh, folks on Team Trump, Team Trump, his super PACs and so forth. Things are much more complicated in both Pennsylvania and Michigan today. Uh, we've got some news just out of Pennsylvania where a 100 uh, percent unverified touchscreen votes are, are cast are used across much of the state. We call them direct recording electronic voting systems. There is no way to know after the election if any vote, if any single vote, not one vote, no way to know if any vote ever cast on a uh, direct recording electronic or DRE voting system has been accurately reported, uh, recorded by the voting system. After the election, and yet that's what they use across much of the state of Pennsylvania still. The Stein campaign, therefore, has been fighting for forensic audits, among other things, but forensic audits of the voting systems in Pennsylvania since there is so little to actually count. She's uh, she's hoping to have computer scientists examine the systems and their audit logs, their internal uh, audit logs of the tabulators and of the voting machines to determine if, as was revealed in Venango County, Pennsylvania, back in 2011, uh, unknown computers or users may have gained access to the systems for nefarious purposes. So we don't know. We don't know. And they are fighting this forensic challenge. Uh, she has also uh, used uh, sued in federal court for intervention to try and get a federal court order for a statewide count and forensic analysis. But a hearing in Philadelphia municipal court today rejected Jill Stein's filing uh, to obtain forensic audits of the voting systems in Philadelphia. Uh, the Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas uh, today denied a full forensic analysis of voting machines and their software as requested by the Stein campaign. Uh, they say, the Stein campaign says, that such an analysis is the only way to guarantee the accuracy of the election results in Philadelphia. Lead counsel for the Stein campaign recount effort in uh, Pennsylvania, Elon Mazel, said the court's decision will deny voters the chance to know the truth about this election. The only way we'll know if this was a secure and accurate election is if we're able to do a full forensic analysis of these machines, which experts testify are easily hacked, have been hacked by college students in a lab setting, and are banned in California and other states. The federal court's uh, the attorney adds, will now have a chance to do right by the people of Pennsylvania and order such an analysis. A statement from Professor Daniel Lepresti, chair of the Department of Computer Science and Engineering at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania, said because Philadelphia's voting machines do not keep a voter verified paper record of each vote, we can't be sure that these machines have accurately tallied the votes. That is why a full forensic analysis of the machines and their software is necessary. That's uh, computer scientist uh, Professor Daniel Lepresti. But, you know, science, 
we don't listen to those sorts of things. Apparently, we the administrative care. court yeah. is completely uninterested in that. Yeah, that's what it seems. So they're going to take that fight uh, to uh, state court uh, as well as federal court or already for uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, so the but the big fight today is over the hand counting of paper ballots that has been underway since Monday in the state of Michigan. Now, there was a federal court hearing today. Uh, we are still awaiting a ruling from that court at this hour. I'll explain that shortly. But last night, shortly after we got off the air, there were two different court rulings. One in state court and one in federal court concerning the Michigan fight. Uh, and and the ongoing uh, counting and Team Trump's uh, efforts, including Michigan Attorney Michigan State Attorney General Bill Schuette, a Trump supporter, their fight, and they are fighting tooth and nail in both state and federal court to stop the attempt at transparent citizen oversight of the results. They're trying to stop that altogether for some reason in Michigan despite the fact that uh, there are paper ballots to count in Michigan and despite the fact that Trump is said to have defeated Hillary Clinton in the state by uh, just over 10,000 votes out of 5 million reportedly tabulated. Uh, That's less than one-tenth of one percent. And I believe I misspoke earlier when I said Wisconsin was like that. That was actually Michigan. That is less than one-tenth of one percent. Now, here's what happened after we got off air yesterday. According to the Detroit Free Press, a federal appeals court upheld the Michigan recount that has been underway since Monday in an an opinion issued late Tuesday. This was just moments before a state appeals court issued an opinion saying the recount should never have been allowed to begin. So the U.S. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in a two-to-one ruling said that the uh, U.S. District Judge Mark Goldsmith did not abuse his discretion when he ordered that the counting should begin on Monday rather than waiting until Wednesday. Now, the reason we had to wait till Wednesday originally was because last Friday, Team Trump filed an objection to the uh, requested recount that was supposed to start on Friday. And that meant that, according to state law, you have to wait two business days after that objection is heard and decided on by the state board. Well, that meant that there was no counting over the weekend and that then they had to wait Monday and Tuesday before starting counting on Wednesday. But the U.S. District Judge Mark Goldsmith said, no, the plaintiffs here will be irreparably harmed if the counting is not completed in time for the Electoral College Uh, vote on the 19th and, uh, frankly, the safe harbor date on December 13th when the uh, federal mandate says that all of this uh, counting and certification must be done. So that came, uh, that court, that federal court, uh, that was a blow to the Michigan Republican Party who was uh, trying to get the federal court to rescind their order to count the ballots in Michigan. This shouldn't be that hard. Did I say that? Um, But then minutes after the federal court issued that opinion that the counting could continue, the Michigan Court of Appeals released a 3-0 opinion. And I should add, this is three Republican judges. They released a 3-0 opinion after a uh, hearing, uh, almost immediately after a hearing on Tuesday, saying that the Michigan Board of Canvassers should never have allowed the recount to proceed because Jill Stein... Uh, received just more than 1% of the vote, and therefore she does not a qualify, qualify as an aggrieved candidate under state law. She's not aggrieved. Uh, 
She couldn't possibly win. She only got 1% of the vote. She has nothing to complain about here. No reason to want to know who actually won or lost the election in Michigan. That is their ruling. Now, the federal court had said uh, if subsequently, and remember their ruling came before the state court, but they said if subsequently the Michigan courts determine that the recount is improper under Michigan state law for any reason, then we expect the federal district court to enter uh, any properly filed motions to dissolve or to modify the order that uh, they must continue the counting. And that is when the Republican Party said, all right, we're going back to federal court after we got this uh, state court ruling. And on Tuesday night, they filed a motion uh, once again uh, uh, to stop the counting immediately in the state of Michigan. That's where we were as of late last night. uh, And uh, it's sort of where we are today. But they were in court today, in fact, uh, arguing against any further counting. The Michigan Republican Party, as well as the Michigan State Attorney General, in their lawsuit, uh, essentially against the uh, the Michigan uh, Board of Canvassers, who said, "Yeah, the the counting can go ahead." Um, we are now waiting for that ruling, that written ruling from the uh, from the judge, from the federal district court judge, on whether this counting must be halted immediately or not. It doesn't look good, but that's just, frankly, my opinion. Uh, it doesn't look good that uh, the counting will continue. Here. Well, you mean it doesn't look good because of the, it being a written ruling rather than an, uh, a ruling from the bench? Well, I don't know. You've got a state court saying 3 nothing. Uh, this counting should have never begun in the first place. Now, the federal court may see it differently. And one thing that the federal court may do is say, because they asked about this in the hearing today, Has the Michigan State Supreme Court yet rung in on this matter? And they have not. Okay. Uh, So this could continue to go. The federal court could say, you know, until there is a definitive ruling from the Michigan State Court. And by the way, two justices on the Michigan State Supreme Court have been named by Donald Trump as potential U.S. Supreme Court nominees and the Stein campaign is saying, well, they have a personal interest, obviously, in Donald Trump winning this election. Those two uh, justices should recuse themselves from uh, a state court hearing on this matter. They, yeah, they have not yet recused themselves. Okay. Well, you, you sound cynical. I'm, I'm slightly cynical, cynical that they will because, you know, there seems to be problems with judges recusing themselves. But hey, you know. That was the old America. This, you know, when people used to recuse themselves for things like conflicts yeah, of interest. Apparently, yeah. Uh, the Stein campaign, of course, says that there are 75,000 ballots in the state of Michigan that were cast by voters, uh, which uh, did not reportedly vote for anyone for president. That is roughly double the number of people who did not vote for president, according to the uh, computer systems there uh, back in 2012. So you got this much bigger number. They would like to verify that. And they also cited hacking attempts uh, on the Democratic National Committee, the Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton and Arizona and Illinois election officials leading up to the election. So they say there are a lot of red flags here. Um, that that demand that we find out if the ballots were counted accurately. Stein's attorney uh, wrote to the Sixth Circuit Court for the voices of Michigan's people to be heard and their votes to be counted in the 2016 presidential election. Michigan must complete a recount. Um, 
So uh, right now, approximately one-tenth of one percent of the votes need to have been misread to affect the outcome of the election, according to the uh, Detroit Free Press. There is also no reason to have confidence that the te- that the rest of Michigan's votes uh, were accurately tabulated, said Stein's attorney. But now the ability to actually count in Michigan at all, correctly or otherwise, even even if they uh, allow the count to move forward. We talked about this yesterday, and it continues to be mind blowing as we continue to learn more about it. The computerized poll book uh in uh, where was this Rochester Hills uh, listed the names of 848 voters who cast ballots at this particular precinct. But the ballot box contained just 847 ballots. It was one ballot short of what the poll books, the computerized poll books had listed. So uh, where is that other ballot? The poll workers had offered no explanation for what happened to the other ballot. And Oakland County's director of election says, therefore, it doesn't match on the canvas and it doesn't match now. This precinct is not recountable. One ballot off, they will not recount it. They will just use the original election night returns that came in. Under Michigan law, a precinct cannot be recounted if the poll book and the ballot box numbers don't match unless there's some sort of valid explanation. In such cases, uh, the Free Press says the results from the original election night tally will stand. But it isn't just an issue in Oakland County. The same problem is appearing in precincts in a number of counties, including Wayne County, where about one third, one third of the precincts show discrepancies during the November canvas. According to the chair of the Wayne County Board of Canvassers, Krista Haratunian, Uh, Those discrepancies could make those precincts 610, 610 precincts in Wayne County, including 392 in Detroit, in heavily uh, Democratic-leaning Detroit, could make those uh, precincts completely ineligible uh, for recounting. Uh, This is just amazing. We are seeing uh, this issue. This is according to um, uh, Keenan Petoni. Uh, the the, uh, head of Recount Michigan working on the Green Party uh, effort in Michigan to count five million ballots there. We're seeing this as an issue in several instances of precincts being deemed not recountable because the numbers don't match. We think that any instance where ballots are not being counted compromises the process. This is an example of why we need to conduct a recount in the first place and verify the vote, said Margie Levinson, a spokesperson for the Stein effort. These are the kind of issues discovered during a recount that can be fixed in future elections. And she is right. If nothing else, we are learning just how terrible Michigan's law and all of the other states' laws, uh, the other two states at least, uh, how terrible these laws are. Uh, Mark Grebner, a longtime political uh, consultant who has uh, studied Michigan elections for decades, said Michigan law is stupid on this point. It makes no sense and it should be fixed. Other states do not do this. Sometimes the numbers just don't match, but poll workers will explain the discrepancy. For example, if a ballot is challenged because the voter didn't have ID or something, the ballot is placed into a challenge envelope and it's counted separately. But poll workers are supposed to note that in their end of the night report. But if they leave it out on a busy election, presidential election day, then the number of ballots in the box 
will not equal the number of ballots in the poll books, that precinct becomes unrecountable. Because of a clerical error. Right. And so we have to go with whatever the original numbers were, right or wrong, or anything else. The, uh, the chair of the Wayne County Board of Canvassers confirmed uh, numbers that were initially reported by Detroit News yesterday, we discussed on this show, uh, showing 610, 610 precincts out of 1,680 in Wayne County that could not be reconciled in the canvas report in November. So we're talking before we've even gotten to a so-called recount stage. The canvas boards went back, they saw these mismatches, and they certified the results anyway. So it's not just terrible election laws in Michigan, but a terrible election administration system uh, in Michigan. Well, I don't know. Maybe they followed. Maybe that's the law. Maybe that's what they followed. But we yeah, already but to knew have these so were many, wrong. But to have so many precincts, yeah. over half oh, the yeah. precincts, oh, yeah. have problems. That's a problem with election administration, whether it's poll worker training, mm-hmm. whether it's machine failure, whatever it is, they have big problems. Sometimes uh, someone can have a, a spoiled ballot, but then they don't re-vote. So they get frustrated because they get frustrated and they leave. That would not be a matchup. Some people uh, walk into the polling place, they sign in, but they just don't cast a ballot at all for any, you know, for any reason. Those would not be recountable. You just go with the original numbers in those cases. The uh, (laughs) and and it's not just those two counties. All right. Wayne County uh, had more than eight hundred and two thousand ballots to recount, despite hundreds of uh, precincts that apparently will not be counted at all or will not be recounted. But that also means they would not be counted because human beings never verified any of those results. It was all done by computers. Uh, that happened in, in Detroit. Uh, this was a, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Representative uh, Stephanie Chang from Detroit said, I am appalled that so many precincts will be disqualified from a recount. With the discrepancies and machine malfunctions that took place, there is even further justification to make examination of these precincts a priority during the recounts. I am extremely concerned that thousands of Detroit voters' voices will not be heard during the recount process. One of the things we reported yesterday is that one of the reasons for the mismatch, these mismatches in these polls, is scanners, optical scanners that had problems on Election Day where the same ballot, got, where the ballot got jammed and they re-ran it through the ballot and the counter may have gone up twice even if it only recorded uh, the vote once. We don't know. We won't know unless we examine those ballots. And that may never happen. Hundreds of, uh, <laughs> hundreds of precincts in Wayne County, also in Oakland County, Uh, By midday, 198 of the county's 520 precincts had been recounted. Things were moving along nicely there. But Roselle, um, the elections director there, said that Oakland had found 17 precincts that could not be recounted, including seven in Pontiac, which is one third of the city's totals. They would not be counted. Counting continued uh, in, in Macomb County. But again, we had a similar problems there. As of 4 p.m. yesterday, Tuesday, seven precincts could not be counted, six in Warren and one in Sterling Heights. That totaled 4,737 votes. Remember, we've got a 10,000 vote margin. 
So just, you know, in those seven precincts alone, you've got almost 5,000, almost half the margin that uh, Trump is said to have won by. McComb officials said they want to emphasize, however, that each of those votes had been counted in election night night tallies. They just can't be recounted now. So why worry? We will talk about why to worry after a quick break here. And with with all of these forces allied against citizen oversight, even where we have actual hand marked paper ballots. What does this tell us about American democracy? In Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and the rest of the country. We'll discuss that and much more with election integrity author and advocate Paul Leto next. He has some thoughts of his own on Michigan and much more next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Yeah, seems like a dream to me too. May seem like a dream to Jill Stein soon if the uh, counting is ordered stopped in the state of Michigan. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. All right, I want to get to my uh, guest here momentarily who knows quite a bit about the mess in Michigan and, frankly, uh, the mess when it comes to election integrity all across the country. But first, I want to play this clip because I think it's just kind of amazing from Michigan State Elections Director Chris Thomas. This is the guy who is charged with making sure elections run smoothly, run accurately, in theory, uh, run in a way that the citizens can know they ran smoothly and correctly and accurately. Uh, His comments about what we were just talking about in the last segment of uh, all of these precincts that are uncountable, uh, frankly, I think we need a, a, song, a Nat King Cole song, uh, Unrecountable, That's What You Are. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's the case here in Michigan. Let me play you his response uh, explaining why a uh, why a precinct may be unrecountable. Michigan Elections Director Chris Thomas and Des, I'm going to stop and start once or twice here. Uh, The issue that we run into across the state is recountability. Uh, In order for a precinct to be recountable, the seals that secure the ballot container have to be affixed. They can't be broken. And the numbers on those seals have to be recorded in the poll book election night. Okay, so that makes sense. Uh, they have to record the uh, the numbers in the poll books of the seals that they put onto the ballot box. And those numbers, when they go to open up the ballot boxes, those seal numbers must match what was written on election night. That makes sense so that nobody went, you know, between election night and uh, the, the time they do a recount. Nobody went in and changed the number of ballots in the box or, or did something like that. Okay, that makes sense. Keep going. And then they have to match today. If they don't match, 
the precinct will not be recountable. And the second part of the recountability uh, phase is whether the number of ballots equals the number of names that were written in the poll book on election day. And if those two are not reconciled, then the precinct cannot be recounted. And there were a lot of uh, precincts in that situation in Wayne, Wayne County. What, what does that mean for the recount? So what that means is the election night returns will stand. So it doesn't mean that no votes will be counted, but that the numbers that were reported on election night and canvassed by this board in uh, the, the two weeks after the election, those numbers will remain the numbers. So we can't recount those if the ballots, uh, the number of ballots in the box does not match uh, what was essentially printed out by the computers on election night. We won't even if there's a mismatch there, we won't go try to figure out what happened. Those precincts are just unrecountable, according to the Michigan Elections Director, Chris Thomas. And there just will not be a recount of that precinct. Should uh, voters be concerned uh, about the fact that there were these uh, non-reconciled numbers? Well, it's a concern that we always have when it occurs. Uh, but I don't think they should be concerned about their votes counting. Uh, that's already been canvassed and reported. So no reason to worry. That's already we already have the numbers. So the fact that you can't have any kind of recount by human beings, the the fact that the, you know the computers have counted them, but the public has not. You don't need to worry your pretty little head because we'll just use the original numbers and everything is fine. That is the state election director in the state of Michigan, uh, Chris Thomas. It just blows me away. Here to comment on that and this entire fine mess in Michigan and all across the country, former election law attorney, longtime election integrity advocate and author. And originally from Michigan, now based in North Dakota, Paul Leto joins us on the broadcast. Uh, Paul, it has been a long time, I think, since you were a guest on the show. You've been fighting this battle as long as I have. So uh, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Well, thank you very much. Uh, good to have you here, uh, because I, I, I suspect your head may be exploding as much as mine is on this issue. You posted a comment last night at bradblog.com in, uh, in response to our coverage of this Michigan mess yesterday uh, on the broadcast, and, and you made several good points that I think need to be underscored here in regard to this ridiculous state law in Michigan that effectively disqualifies potentially hundreds of precincts from being hand counted at all as part of the recount uh, in cases where you had these mismatches of even just one ballot uh, from from what was written down in the in the precinct poll book on Election Day. First, it seems as if the law was meant to avoid stuff like ballot box stuffing, stuff that makes sense after the close of polls. Uh, so in one sense, that law makes sense that you can't recount the ballots if the number of ballots don't reconcile with the number of voters who actually signed in to vote at the polls, right? That part makes sense, does it not? Right. It's the part where they say the original uh, count will stand. That's the problem, because these are problem precincts. They cry out for investigation. So when you say, oh, we're going to let the original count stand, that's the problem. Usually if there's fraud, you're going to you know, investigate, maybe void out that precinct for fraud or something like that. But no, they just want to go with the original count. 
And that seems, uh, as you noted in your comment, that seems to be uh, an in, essentially an invitation to fraud. How so? Well, it's a safe harbor for error or for fraud, because whatever happened there is not reviewable. It's not going to change. They're going to stick with it. So if you know that, all you need to do is add an extra ballot uh, without you know adjusting the poll books, which you know makes it easier to do fraud or easier to create an error, mm-hmm. and then that error or fraud is insulated from ever uh, affecting the results. So it's like, a, you know, if somebody did want to do fraud, it's like a dream for them. We uh, talked about in the previous segment that uh, even just one ballot, if it's one ballot off, and in many cases, you know, you have voters who show up to vote, uh, then they have problems voting or they change their mind or they spoil the ballot and they, you know, they walk away. We call it the fleeing voter who never actually finishes their uh, uh, finishes their ballot or, you know, cases where they may have spoiled the ballot, ask for a new one. And the poll worker forgot to write that down in the book. It seems pretty easy now that we all know uh, <laughs> to. Uh, to, to simply assure that uh, hundreds of precincts, as we're seeing in Detroit, are, as Chris Thomas says, unrecountable. Right. There's 392 in Detroit out of 610 statewide. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean, as, as some have suggested, that it's Democratic uh, fraud. It would actually be uh, very elegant, you know, if it was a Republican fraud, because, you know, the initial... Uh, suspicions would be that it would be democratic fraud, but you could, if you could get in there, reduce uh, uh, votes in Detroit by ten percent, and then have the Democrats be blamed for it, and that that would be wonderful from a from a hacking standpoint. But here's the thing: is that it doesn't really matter in in from the perspective of democracy whether it's an error or whether it's a fraud, because we're only interested in the true vote count. And error or fraud, it changes the results by the same number of votes. The only thing fraud is really relevant to would be criminal uh, sanctions, if any cases were filed, and political fallout. But as far as democracy, it doesn't matter whether it's error or fraud, but in this case, the Michigan law itself is protecting and creating a safe harbor for both errors and frauds. Many of the uh, computer scientists who are who are experts, uh, frankly, at hacking voting systems, like the University of Michigan's uh, uh, computer science professor Alex Halderman, has said that post-election hand counts should be carried out only uh, should be carried out if only uh, as a deterrent for criminals. It, it, it seems like the kind of message that we're sending here is uh, feel free to defraud the system uh, in Michigan with this particular law that uh, makes these precincts unrecountable. Uh, But also, you know, all of the pushback that we are seeing in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, everywhere that I know you've seen over the years, Paul, as you have sought, you know, various uh, uh, hand counts, recounts, post-election audits, etc. I mean, isn't the message we're sending here that you will probably feel free to defraud the system? You will probably never get caught because the forces against any kind of citizen oversight uh, of election results seems to be nearly insurmountable now on so many levels. Right. I mean, talk about blizzards. There's a blizzard of litigation hitting Jill Stein in multiple states. Everybody from the establishment to the Republicans try and, and political action committees trying to stop her. Uh, there are in a, at least a half a dozen different courts. And 
I always say, you know, don't count on anything happening after election night that's really going to be favorable. Why? There's two big reasons. Number one, everybody wants to avoid embarrassment. Nobody wants to be the next Florida. Mm-hmm. So everybody in the uh, the state government and the elections bureau is working really, really hard not to be embarrassed, and that's a nonpartisan, you know, interest mm-hmm. <clears throat> that really goes uh, against you know transparency and getting the truth out. It's it's also Paul, problem, Paul. Let me. It's also a, a non nefarious necessarily. In right. other words, they're not trying. To, they may not be trying to hide fraud. They may just be trying to keep themselves from, uh, well, for example, what we're seeing now in Michigan. Right. I mean, if, if you even think you might have, you know, be getting caught with your pants down, you're going to pull your pants up. It's just an instinct that everybody has to, you know, circle the wagons and try to protect themselves. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have a, have a guilty conscience. The other thing is that 100% of all election laws made by election winners who absolutely do not want mm. their victories to be questioned. So that's another factor is that you can never really count on on getting good election laws for post-election remedies because everybody that's voting on it is a winner and they do not want losers or what they would call sore losers mm-hmm. questioning, you know, their great victory. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's a very good point. I do recall, and we've got uh, uh, audio somewhere on bradblog.com of Philadelphia Mayor Michael Nutter uh, back a few years ago being asked about this. Did he have concerns about the voting machines in in uh, in Pennsylvania, where they have you know 100 percent unverifiable b- votes, and he literally said, "Well, uh, no, you know, I think these machines were good enough to get me elected, so uh, they're probably fine." So you know, and and that's true for election officials as well. You know, I've seen a lot of uh, election uh, people running to become an election officials concerned about the machines, but once they are in charge. They don't want to be embarrassed by, you know, having to admit, yeah, we have problems with our uh, with our voting system. Right. And also, here's another thing. You know, you only got winners in in elections. You got losers. The winners aren't going to look a gift gift horse in the mouth. And the losers, you know, don't want to pay the price of being pilloried as a as a sore loser. So basically, that leaves democracy defenseless. There's nobody who has the standing you know, to get up there and say, hey, let's have a true count without being made fun of and having to uh, litigate in six states or three states and six courts Mm -hmm. without having to pay millions of dollars. And right now in the Michigan legislature, they're trying to pass a bill to retroactively make Jill Stein pay 100 percent of the cost, which would add another million plus dollars to her tax. It, it, it's it's incredible. People don't understand, and they always, you know, I, I've heard for so many years, well, we've got paper ballots, we can always go back later if there is any questions about the results. That's not true. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not true in practice. It's only true in theory, and if people are reassuring themselves that, hey, i got a paper ballot, that's really an illusion. You know, there's been kind of an evolution here, you know, through the last 15 years or so. Number one, first, we said we want paper. Mm-hmm. And then we realized, oh, well, they'll just give us a receipt and they won't actually count the paper. So then we said we want a paper ballot. Mm-hmm. Okay, then we realized that's not enough either. We want a paper ballot with an audit. Well, a recount is a type of an audit. And, you know, they do the audits late. It's basically certify first, ask questions later. The audits lead nowhere, and they always just paper over, you know, any any problems. Mm-hmm. So even audits uh, are not sufficient. So basically what we're left with is that if you really focus on how in, in incredibly difficult 
post-election relief is no matter who you are. The only option is to get it right on election night. And mm-hmm. what does that mean? you got to have paper ballots, and you got to hand count them in the precincts. And if you don't have enough people to do that, what do you do? You modify the jury summon, summonsing system, and you get random people in there to count. And they'd be much happier to do that than, than uh, be on a 10-day jury trial, let me tell you. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, get it right on election night. Where have I heard that before? Uh, at this hour, Paul Leto, uh, we don't know if a federal court is going to call off the Michigan count altogether. It, it's seeming more and more likely uh, with the uh, three Republican judge uh, state appellate court ruling on Tuesday that the count should never have begun in the first place because uh, Jill Stein, they say, cannot be deemed an aggrieved party since she only received one percent of the vote and therefore she couldn't win and therefore she can't possibly be irreparably harmed if the ballots remain uncounted by human beings forever. What, what do you make of the, uh, of the state court's argument there? And, and really, shouldn't anybody, uh, candidate, voter, or otherwise be able to seek a recount, particularly if they're willing to pay for it themselves? Well, yeah, I mean, especially if they're willing to pay for it, although who has the, who has the millions of dollars? Mm-hmm. But, you know, 1% differences, 2% differences, even where they don't change the result, are still very relevant it's relevant to the perceived competitiveness of future candidates. It's relevant in Stein's case if she gets above five percent for federal funding for future, you know, future uh, campaign finance, uh, you know, issues and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, and also there's a compelling interest that we the people have in a true and accurate vote count. If you think about it, when we're voting, that is the one time, the one time when the government is really supposed to listen to us, we the people and take care to count our ballots. If they're not willing to be serious about that, when are they really going to listen to the people? When are they going to, you know, really be serious about who they're supposed to be serving? So this whole attitude that, you know, everybody coming out of the woodwork and opposing this just really is a very, very bad attitude for government officials to have, you know, in a so-called democracy. They're supposed to be government servants, but they don't act like it. They don't. Uh, Paul, uh, before I let you go here, as a, as a long time, at, you've already mentioned the solution is getting it right on election night, publicly hand counting those ballots uh, at the precinct uh, on election with all the parties uh, watching uh, video cameras rolling, um, you know, so that we can know that it's right on election night. But as a long time, very long time election integrity advocate, you've been at this as long as as I have, Paul. Uh, what goes through your head? When you see all of these messes that you have tried to warn about uh, for so long uh, coming to pass in really all three states and, frankly, with this uh, presidential election as a whole that we're, many of us are going to walk away from not knowing who actually won or lost. And, by the way, leading into it, Donald Trump yelling and screaming that the election was rigged and, uh, you know, confidence in the system plummeting, rightly or wrongly, uh, on both the Republican and Democratic and Green and independent sides. What, what goes through your head when you when you see uh, you've been Cassandra for a long time and you now you see all of this stuff actually coming to pass today? Well, I'm sorry to be right. I really am. You know, I'm sorry to have been right to, sit, to be saying for years that you can't count on these post-election 
remedies. But at the same time, there's nothing like banging your head against the wall, you know, to create a teachable moment. And that's what we have here is a teachable moment that you really cannot, uh, you know, take solace in your paper ballot that you filled out, you know, the night uh, before the election or on election day and then have it run through a scanner and think that that's going to be your insurance policy if uh, something is close and doesn't come out the right way. It's not going to be and probably never will be because, again, winners make 100% of all election law. Yep. Uh, it's not enough just to cast your vote and walk away. Uh, you have to stay involved. Uh, you have to try to oversee your elections and you have to fight to have uh, reasonable election laws in place before uh, your candidate loses. Former election law attorney, longtime election integrity advocate and author Paul Leto. Paul, uh, really appreciate your insight here, your comments uh, at bradblog.com. I uh, hope you'll uh, stay in touch as we move through this mess and the future ones that you have been so long right about. Well, thank you very much, Brad. Thank you, Paul Leto. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. We go from bad to worse <laughs> with the Environmental Protection Agency. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. What the public hears over the public airwaves matters. Without an informed electorate, we've got, well, we got what we have right now. We do our best on the broadcast five days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyen and myself try to do every day on the broadcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep the broadcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks. Donald Trump uh, has reportedly decided on who will be the uh, the head of the Environmental Protection Agency. And as we noted earlier, you'll be stunned to hear that uh, this man is a climate change denier. This is uh, Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt is the man's name. Desi Doyen, I know you've got to be delighted about this. Oh, boy, this is bad. Uh, the uh, the the New York. This guy is a, a denier. He has worked with all of these other Republican attorneys general to file suits uh, challenging Barack Obama's uh, so-called clean power plan, which had aimed to decrease power plant carbon emissions 30 percent nationwide by 2030. 
Uh, and and now he'll be charged if this is true, if he actually is uh, uh, appointed and accepted by the U.S. Senate, I believe, has to accept this nomination. Uh, he'll be in charge of administrating the clean power plan, which he had fought against in court. Yes, that he has he has ganged up with all of these state attorneys general to to mm-hmm. kill the clean power plan and by the way of course the clean power plan is that landmark historic emissions standards the first ever for power plants that was supposed to be a crucial component of the US international commitment to cut our emissions as part of our agreement with the Paris agreement. But now the EPA director, if if he gets the job here, uh, is a man who said that uh, the, the the debate surrounding climate change is, quote, far from settled. Yeah. I mean, this is the stuff that George Bush was saying uh, more than a decade ago. It's still not settled. Uh, scientists continue to disagree about the degree and extent of global warming and its connections to the actions of mankind. This uh, uh, statement that he put out with uh, Alabama Attorney General Luther Strange back in May, uh, that debate, he says, should be encouraged in classrooms, public forums and the halls of Congress. Uh, How about in the halls of, you know, science labs where the scientists have all determined exactly how this works, exactly what man's role is in climate change? which uh, the uh, this guy uh, Pruitt, Scott Pruitt, says is far from settled. Not Now, he has a reason to believe this, to uh, at least to pretend to believe that the science is far from settled. He is a tool of the fossil fuel company and uh, companies, and I mean literally in this case. Uh, the New York Times reported back in December of 2014, this letter... Uh, that was sent to the EPA by Attorney General Scott Pruitt of Oklahoma, and it carried, as the New York Times reported at the time, a blunt accusation. Federal regulators were grossly overestimating the amount of air pollution that was caused by energy companies drilling new natural gas wells in the state of Oklahoma. He said that was ridiculous, that regulators were just saying there was way too much air pollution, way more than actually existed. But as the New York Times points out, Mr. Pruitt left out one critical point. The three-page letter that he sent was written by lawyers for Devon Energy, one of Oklahoma's biggest oil and gas companies, and was delivered to him by Devon's chief uh, chief lobbyist. William F. Witsit is the guy's name, and he wrote to Pruitt to say, quote, outstanding. <laughs> the attorney general staff. Good had, cut and paste job. They had literally, as the Times report, the attorney general staff had taken Devon's draft or Devon's. I don't even know how it's pronounced. Devon's draft copied it onto state government stationery with only a few words change, changed and sent it to Washington with the attorney general's signature on it. Quote, said the lobbyist to Mr. Pruitt. The timing of the letter is great, given our meeting this Friday with both EPA and the White House. Lobbyist Witsit then added, please pass along Devon's thanks to Attorney General Pruitt. Coordinating with the fossil fuel industry to undermine regulations on clean air and clean water that protect the health of the population. I mean, we reported many times on the Green News Report how expensive 
fossil fuel, air pollution, and water pollution is to the healthcare, to the healthcare of the public. We spend billions of dollars, not just in the United States, but around the world, fighting air pollution, chronic respiratory diseases. It's really expensive, fossil fuel pollution and, is. And not just expensive, dangerous. I know you've yes, got a statement course. from Congressman Ted Lieu, uh, but uh, before I let you get to that, uh, Bernie Sanders put out a statement this afternoon saying Trump's nominee to lead the EPA, Scott Pruitt, is a climate denier who's worked closely with the fossil fuel industry. That's sad and dangerous. And I guess by working closely, he means taking their emails, copying it, pasting it, sending it to the EPA and the White House and pretending that's what he actually believes. Uh, Congressman Lou. Yes, uh, Congressman Ted Lou. Yeah. He's a congressman Democrat from Los Angeles County. His statement regarding the nomination, he says, quote, Donald Trump, who lost the popular vote, has nominated anti-environmentalist Scott Pruitt to lead the EPA. As Oklahoma Attorney General, Mr. Pruitt acted as a de facto lobbyist for the oil and gas industry by challenging President Obama's EPA rules to reduce planet warming carbon dioxide emissions at our nation's power plants. That's the clean power plant. Mm -hmm. In essence, Mr. Pruitt has never met a federal environmental protection that he likes. It is deeply disturbing that Mr. Pruitt, who has spent so much time trying to undermine the EPA, is now being asked to run it. <laughs> Equally disturbing is the fact that Mr. Pruitt does not believe in climate change. As a veteran and a colonel in the Air Force Reserves, writes Ted Lieu, I wholeheartedly agree agree with the U.S. military's position that climate change is real and a threat to our national security. What does Mr. Pruitt know that the Pentagon doesn't? The answer is nothing. Well, the answer is uh, he knows the email address of the top lobbyist for all of the energy companies that he's supposed to be regulating, uh, frankly, in the state of Oklahoma as the attorney general, making sure that they are following the law instead of passing on their best wishes and their B.S., uh, to uh, to federal authorities. Now he will be the federal authority. That is, if this turns out to be accurate, by the way. Right. The, we we yeah. still have to keep that in. It has not yet been confirmed. But one of the things that the Trump team advisors have floated is the idea of redoing the EPA's endangerment finding. Now that was a part in the 2000 in the, in the 2000s during the Bush administration. Mm -hmm. The EPA was required to have to 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 do scientific research into whether or not oh, yeah. climate change is endangering public health. The EPA did. And famously, they the, sent an yeah. email to the Bush administration White House with this endangerment finding. The Bush administration White House refused to open the email. Therefore, they didn't have any receipt of it and they didn't have to do any and regulations. They didn't have to act on it. Yes. This is where we're going back to. So if they redo the endangerment finding, that could withdraw the Supreme Court ruling that said, oh, if the EPA finds an endangerment to public health, They're talking then, about then they must regulate emissions. If they remove the endangerment finding, I'm not sure, but I think that that means that that Supreme Court ruling would no longer the be The Supreme effective. Court ruling had determined that they must, the EPA must take action. If they find out. If they find out uh, the danger, that danger was discovered and under the Clean Power, uh, no, the, uh, the, the Clean, Clean Air, Air Act, Act yes. signed by... George Bush Sr., I think, uh, 20 or 30 years ago, they must take action. That's why the George W. Bush 
administration did not want to open that email. That's right. And you're saying that there's now talk that the EPA could go back and redo that original finding? There is talk about that as far as mm. how, how far it can go. I, I don't know. I don't have any. There's no new information on that. And it to me, it just says... This is what the media has completely missed. Remember all the, ooh, look, Trump says he's softening on climate change. And, oh, look, he's talking to Al Gore. Maybe it's going to be okay on climate change <laughs> that he's softening in some way. And no, it was all a distraction and a complete fake. And they fell for it again. Well, we'll see if this uh, A comes to pass, because right now the sources that I've seen, they're unnamed sources close to Pruitt, not even close to Trump. Right. So we'll see if this stands. Uh, and, and if it does, we'll see if he can uh, get approval in the U.S. Senate. I know that, uh, well, you could hear Bernie Sanders uh, in that one tweet alone talks about how sad and dangerous this is. And so hopefully the Democrats find a spine and they stand up to these people. How can you have a climate change denier and an anti-environmentalist heading up the Environmental Protection Agency? We are far way deep beyond the rabbit hole at this point uh, through the looking glass and out the other end. Uh, but that's where we get because um, because Hillary Clinton won by 2.7 more votes than yeah. Donald Trump. Sam Stein at Huffington Post, real quick, he tweeted that. He said, hey, listen, when you lose by 2.7 million votes, you get to dismantle environmental regulations and take apart the health care system. It's in the Constitution. Do yep. we still have a constitution? Just curious. We'll I have to so. check that on tomorrow's thrilling broadcast. Until then, my thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to my guest today, Paul Leto, longtime election integrity advocate and champion, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it for free at bradblog.com or your favorite uh, podcast site like iTunes, where we hope you'll put in a good word for us, make it a little bit easier to uh, for everyone else to find the broadcast. Please share it far and wide. You can do that in any number of ways. Amongst them, you can find us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. And if you like, you can drop me email. Uh, my email address is bradcast at bradblog.com. All right, that's it. Until we meet again with more fantastic news, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>